this is the Roaring Elephant Podcast for the 14th of April 2016, a podcast about Apache Hadoop and the surrounding ecosystem for anybody working with or investigating big data. My name is Dave and here is my co-host, Jon. Hi Dave, welcome back to my hotel room. Let's Indeed. do this in a row. Two nights in a row in Jon's hotel room recording a podcast. This, ladies and gentlemen, is the life of a podcaster. Anyway... We have uh, our second special edition uh, bite-sized big data podcast, uh, and today we're covering, or this evening, we're covering day two of the Hadoop Summit 2016 here in Dublin, here in uh, slightly overcast Dublin, but still, you know, quite bright outside. And we are going to cover a couple of things. We're going to talk a little bit about some of our highlights from the keynotes. We're going to talk about uh, fairly briefly about some of the sessions that we enjoyed and uh, really give you a feel for what it's like to be at the Hadoop Summit. That's definitely the intention. All right. So with that being said, um, enjoy some sound bites that we, uh, we also recorded throughout the day. Uh, straight after the music and uh, let's get to it it's been awesome the lectures have been uh, the, the inside and the uh, advice and the stories that they can tell in their uh, exploration on all levels in, in, in this journey it's been an awesome experience to be part of. Lots of variety and that's actually what I like about this uh, conference because we have people from you could say working with the platform, you have data scientists and, and me from the management side and, and having those uh, you could say separate tracks is, is quite good. It's the first time I come to uh, Hadoop Summit. It's really nice because uh, Topics are very, very interesting. The biggest problem is to choose between all. We say, oh, I want to go to this one. Ah, this one too. So, and uh, But, okay, that's an easy, easy problem, let's say. The party yesterday was really cool. Uh, I can find some use cases. Uh, our uh, engineers, uh, they get uh, good, good information. It's been my best tech conference I've, I've, I've attended so far. This is my second Hadoop Summit, but both of them have been really good in terms of the quality of the technical sessions, so I really like it. There you go, can it get any better endorsement? <laughs> so, welcome back to the uh, podcast for today. As uh, Dave uh, promised, we're going to talk about our uh, highlights for today, and the first thing, of course, today was the keynote. Every day of Hadoop Summit always starts with a keynote address. Uh, as yesterday today, uh, Hortonworks did some introduction first, but fairly quickly passed it over to the other speakers there. And the first speaker in line was actually a big surprise for me. I mean, not as a person, because there's a person from uh, Yahoo called Sumit Singh. And Yahoo has a good reputation for these kind of things. And uh, this guy was no disappointment. But I was really uh, surprised with what he was talking about. Now, I do know that you, Dave, went to a session during the day that went deeper on these things. And you didn't allow me to go there. So I'm very curious. Please start talking. Yeah, so I banned Jon from attending this session because it was just too good. And it was. It was an exceptional session. So uh, Samit covered some of the highlights during the, the keynote, but his uh, follow-on session uh, later on in the morning went into more depth. So rather than talk about the keynote specifically, I'm going to give you a flavour as to you know what they were actually talking about overall. So the, the session was basically a year in review of Hadoop at Yahoo. 
and you know they covered quite a considerable number of different topics um, throughout the session, uh, and it really ranged from um, you know their overall node count and how that has varied throughout uh, throughout time, and brought up a really interesting point, which is lots of people when they when they ask how big is your cluster are often talking about you know how many nodes have you got. And what was quite clear is that while the overall trend um, for Yahoo is, generally speaking, on the increase, um, there's also some fairly significant drops at regular points where they go ahead and basically tear out old clusters and replace them with new, uh, newer, denser uh, hardware and machines. Um, one particular kind of example that they gave that they actually ran through this year is that they had... Um, three different research clusters. Uh, now, individually, um, these research clusters were already, um, you know, several thousand nodes. And in fact, altogether, all these three uh, came to about 10,500 10 nodes of Hadoop. So, you know, not just a little sandbox, although that's kind of how he was describing it, which gives you an idea of how important Hadoop is to Yahoo. Um, but they managed to consolidate that down to... Uh, uh, a new deployment, so three uh, individual clusters with relatively uh, low uh, usage, you know, around about the 40% the usage, they consolidated that down to uh, 2,200 new servers, uh, which gave them actually a 65% increase in compute, a 50% increase in the average utilization, it was around about the 70% mark. And uh, and it gave them about uh, a forty percent reduction in uh, the TCO. So you know it, the project paid for itself. It was there were lots of other things covered um, during this session. Uh, they implemented um, you know deep learning with uh, GPU based uh, nodes and uh, actually started talking about some of the other projects um, that they've been releasing. So Cafe on Spark, which is you know, CAFE is to do deep learning and Spark is to do um, sort of uh, model building and how those can work together. Uh, something called OMID, which is about uh, transactions on HBase, uh, covers fault tolerance, ACID compliant. Uh, very, very cool tech. Uh, you know, even though it's not uh, part of uh, a distribution that I spend a lot of time playing with, uh, I'm definitely going to go and take a look at that because it just sounds very, very cool. I mean, they covered loads of different things and it's definitely a session I think we're going to try and revisit and maybe go into some more depth in a later episode. Um, that was about the highlight for the Yahoo session. Anything else you can remember from the, the keynote that you were particularly interested in? No, I was just, one, I was just very surprised that uh, all of these uh, advancements on HBase were happening and I hadn't got a clue. I consider myself to be in the, in, the, in the know for these kind of things. And this really struck me out of the blue. I must admit that HBase isn't something I've paid particular attention to, but having things like Acid and HBase, I mean, even Hive is not working yet. Yeah. So, so it was um, just a little bit more on that then. They actually described that it was a project that came out of um, Yahoo Labs. They'd done a bit of work on it. I think it was... I think it's actually a, a quite an old project. It might have been like back 2011, 2012, but it 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 kind of it didn't go any further. And basically, it it sounded like, and I may be wrong about this, but it sounded like they almost resurrected it, and you know, technology had moved on, computer mm. had moved on. It that's made, a, it, made Apache it Omid you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Now, actually, I'm going to talk about a session later with uh, about Hive 2.0, mm -hmm. where one of the things was we're going to replace the MetaStore from Hive optionally by a HBase MetaStore. Oh, can't wait. And that is going to need HBase with Acid using Omid. Ooh. So this is all detangled there. So this uh, next year is going to be interesting. Yeah. See, actually, it's all part of the big cosmic Hadoop plan. Um, <laughs> so just just two, um, well, three uh, little things uh, before I uh, wind up the uh, Hadoop year in review from Yahoo is uh, you know they've actually got around about uh, even though they said you know node count isn't important they've got around about thirty plus thousand nodes of Hadoop um, that's split between about sixteen clusters. Um, they've also got 12 to 13 uh, HBase clusters. They primarily run them separately from their core Hadoop infrastructure. And also 12 to 13 Storm clusters uh, that they, again, run separate from their core Hadoop infrastructure. So, you know, a massive, massive deployment and very, very cool session. Um, yeah, look forward to going into that in more depth. Yeah, I would have loved to be there, but as you just heard, David admit he banned yeah, me from I, that session. I, I bagsied it. You snooze, you lose. I didn't snooze <laughs> much. <laughs> anyway, after the Yahoo person did his very nice introduction, there was the well usual panel of customers, which was well, kind of interesting as they usually are, but nothing really majorly shocking as far as I can remember. Yeah, I mean, for me, that was just... Uh I think it w it's it's always good to see those from um, from a customer perspective. You know, the customers need to see those kind of things to understand they're not alone. You know, people are are, are doing this and have done this. You know, similar to um, the the World Pay session um, from yesterday's uh, keynote. You know, it's all about you're not alone in this. Other people have done this as well, and uh, you know you can rely on partners to guide you through it. Yep. And talking about partners, the next two options were BMC and HP that kind of talked about what they're doing in the industry there, but mm -hmm. nothing extra specific I want to talk about there. It was basically them nope. telling about their plans. And then, uh, just like yesterday, the very nice surprise of having a visionary talker again, a data journalist this time, who had something called... Well, first of all, let's just say, data journalist, that's a cool job title. And... Uh, yeah, it was just cool. His session was really, really good. I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Yeah, what was the name? Because you say, I, I have well, data, it's beautiful, but you say it's wrong. Well, I don't know. I mean, he, so he's got two books out, and we'll put some, put some links uh, in the show notes afterwards. Uh, so the guy's name was uh, David McCandless, and uh, the two books that he's got out is Information is Beautiful and Knowledge is Beautiful. Now, Jon thinks that the session was actually called Data is Beautiful, which may well be true, but may also be fiction. Anyway, the session was fantastic. Um, you know, David took us through a whole bunch of different, um, you know, different concepts, different questions, things like, you know, how do you visualize a billion when someone says a billion? You know, it's just such a big number. How do you, how do you really compare that to your, your real world life? And, uh, you know, was comparing things like spikes in media trends on various different things from, you know, SARS to killer bees to Ebola. <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, it was, it, was, it was interesting to see this stuff visualized in a, a variety of different ways. I mean, people think of, at least I tend to think of visualization as, you know, bar charts and pie graphs and line graphs, which are all... Technically, yes, that is visualization, but it's not—it's not terribly arresting. 
And uh, the, the key point that David was making is if you can create these visualizations in such a way that they actually transmit that kind of information, it's far easier for human beings to absorb that information in a, a graphical visualization that has that impact than it is for people to be, you know, trawling through spreadsheets or reports full of numbers or, you know, query result returns or anything like that. Yeah, he actually used a, a nice phrase, uh, which I'm going to repeat here. And it's a new kind of camera to use, where he's describing that you put your data in a certain light with a certain context and put this in the foreground, this in the background, meaning don't, don't show everything at once, but just show the important things, let people make their own uh, conclusions from that. That's a very nice uh, metaphor to, to look at it, really. Yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, it was a nice one. I'm, I'm definitely going to try and pick up both his books, and uh, uh, I think... Uh, you know his 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 role is primarily to take data and as you might expect as data journalist and basically you know tell a story with it and you know lots of lots of different things like who's suing who in the mobile industry and uh, and um things like um for health supplements you know what's the the proven effectiveness of them and actually um some of this stuff is apparently up on his website as well so i think we'll we'll try and hunt that down and he, see a, if we he can actually had a couple of projects running live where you, he kept on put like the health thing for example you can keep on putting new health supplements in there and whatever the science changes maybe something that wasn't proven now becomes proven and the whole live updates apparently he had some uh, video on, t- on stage to show that yeah so that was, uh, it was cool yeah, very, very cool, very cool. So again, yeah, like like yesterday, the the visionary one at the end was was probably the absolute highlight. Yeah, yeah, that's yours. I I did kind of, at first when he started, I thought hmm, I've heard of this before, but maybe other people like me will remember a session from previous uh, Hadoop Summit keynotes where someone was talking about beautiful data visualization, where they made art from visualization. But this was totally different. This was really about how to make sense out of visualization, how to uh, make okay. people see what it actually means how to how to make that a story basically yeah 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 yeah, yeah. Oh, very good okay i think that about covers the keynotes unless you have something else to add there no nope, that's it for me no. um so let's go through some sessions uh, briefly just mm-hmm. to kick on the highlights there first session i went to was a session called on m leap and from the documentation on the the agenda i wasn't really clear what it was about it was about spark so I thought, oh, interesting, let's go and listen to that. And it actually turned out to be very, very good. What these guys are doing is uh, one person from Shift Technology called, I'm probably going to butcher this, Mikhail Semenyuk, excuse me for the butchering it, and another guy from TrueCar called Holland Wilkins, a bit easier. And what they're actually be, uh, being doing is, uh, as I explained, they're having problems when they had a, uh, a Spark model trained and modeled and all that, and had to hand it over to an engineer to put it into production flow, and that person basically had to rebuild the whole thing mm-hmm. because what the, the, the scientist was doing, he was using some libraries and whatever. So it took a lot of time, weeks to months, they said, to get some uh, model into production, if at all it ever happened, it uh, came to production. And they were kind of sick of that, and they built something called MLEAP, which actually, and they did this on stage, it took four minutes from training a model to having a web a REST API running where you could just send an event, score it, and have a result from it. That was brilliant. Actually, using this in production, they told me, so it's stable and it's simple, and it's, I think, something that could actually be a very viable alternative for the traditional PMML everybody's using to do this stuff. Mm-hmm. And the biggest difference there is, and that's about all I'm going to talk about just now, is that in PMML and all that kind of stuff, you're still carrying the whole Spark environment with you. You have to start the whole Spark 
I'm going to call it baggage for now. Context. Context, overhead, whatever you want to call it, to make that one little event that comes in, is it a important or not important, classified, classified, not classified, whatever. You have to start with whole at uh, Spark Tree, and what they do is actually convert the Spark model into a, a M-Leap model, and you don't have all this. And they had a graph of uh, speed there where with Spark thing to go through 10,000 individual events, which means that for every event, the Spark stack has to go up, do a thing, go down again. Mm -hmm. It took, I don't know, 40 minutes, and with the M-Leap thing, it was uh, 11 seconds. So just clarify one thing. So where... Where is MLeap actually living? Yeah, it's not living anywhere. It's kind of a, a um, yeah, it is living <laughs> somewhere. It's a, tra a transformation thing. You make, you take your uh, trained Spark model, mm -hmm. and then you have a library from them where you just say, make this now an MLeap model. And at that point, it ceases to be a Spark model, but it still knows all the things that Spark can do. We can still do regression stuff like that. Now that's actually uh, an interesting uh, point. The problem, if you like, with that uh, approach is that. For every algorithmic uh, method, uh, linear regression, forest, whatever, you have to create a specific M-leap conversion. Mm -hmm. So at this point, they were showing linear regression and for random forests, which had worked, and they showed us how they did it. Re relatively simple. I mean, not that I'm not going to do it in five minutes, I think, but it's not a, a huge re, uh, restructuring, re-engineering of the solution. It's quite easy, apparently, to have most of those uh, uh, algebraic uh, methodologies in there. But once that's done, you're no longer talking to Spark. They did add, however, that at this moment, Spark is making their linear algebra library separate from Spark. It's probably going to become a, an extra, a, a separate Apache project. I hope Apache. And they're thinking, once that's happening, we're going to use that in our thing as well. That way, we don't have to maintain our own stuff, and we can just reuse <laughs> what they use. It's less work for them. It's brilliant thinking. That's how open source works, right? Definitely. It's all but about the collaboration. Exactly. So, and at that point, it's an MLEAP model, which you can score very quickly. And it, they're using the Scala HTTP uh, REST API, which just allows you, when you start that MLEAP thing you've just created, it becomes a, 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 a web socket. And you can throw it an event, and it'll score it and give you back the result. Nice. That's very, very nice. nice. And I was actually thinking when I heard that, uh, one of the questions we get from customers who are using Apache NiFi is, can I use my model in a NiFi stream? Mm. Now, putting a PML model in there is never going to happen because of the whole spark, whatever. This could actually do it. Interesting. So you could literally fire that up as, as part of the web service. Nice. Yeah, it's really, really, really interesting. I talked to a couple of colleagues who are also into Spark, and they also were like, mm, this is something to, to keep an eye on, definitely. Excellent. So I was very happy with that one. All right. So the next session uh, that I'd like to talk about briefly is uh, a session run by Admiral, um, uh, jointly with Hortonworks, that was on uh, telematics and insurance. Uh, and this was this was a pretty cool session, and you know I've actually uh, been lucky enough to be uh, a little bit part of this um, uh, behind the scenes as well. Uh, but the main person uh, from Horton Works that had done uh, a heck of a lot of work on this is a guy named Simon Ball. So uh, mad props to Simon Ball, who's done some amazing work on putting together this uh, this pilot along with Admiral. So a guy named uh, Adam Morton was uh, speaking on behalf of Admiral. And uh, Simon was up there, and it was it was a really nice 
um, you know, co-presented style session where they each cover different areas. And really, you know, Admiral, um, their sort of telematics focus here was about, um, they have a telematics service at the moment for insurance. You can get usage-based insurance. Uh, it's primarily targeted at their, their younger customers that are looking to, you know, drive down their premiums. Mm -hmm. um, but the telematics data they receive is, you know, um, it's based on things like when the person exceeds a speed limit or maybe um, every 150 meters of travel, you know, uh, they receive a data point, that sort of thing. And they also only really get it at the end of the journey. So what they're looking at is instead of, you know, those kind of uh, gaps, because if you think about it, if you're driving, you know, through a, a town or a village and making you know, lots of turns, if you're only getting data points every 150 metres, uh, it's really difficult to actually work out even which route someone took. So they're looking at instead receiving data, you know, around about every second. Um, so, you know, uh, and if not, uh, even more frequent than that if they can get it. Now, at the moment, they still get the, the data at the end of journey because that's what, that's the upload. Um, and uh, so that's how they're handling that still. But it used to be their, their sort of existing system was based on a you know, traditional database, uh, traditional relational database. And it took them, you know, anything from 24 hours to 72 hours to actually get the data ingested in, uh, run through, score it, do all this kind of crazy stuff, and um, you know it just it just you know was nowhere near responsive enough uh, for them. So basically, we we helped to build them uh, you know a proof of concept environment involving you know, Spark, um, NiFi, ORC, Hive, uh, even a bit of SAS in there as well, and they actually managed to get you know with their first sort of um, their first real kind of deployment of this they actually got that uh, you know 24 to 72 hours down to two to three hours um, and then following a bit of tuning um, they were able to get it down to a, um, a few minutes and mm. then a bit of tuning after that a few seconds that's so, impressive I mean yeah I mean something going from 72 hours down to a few seconds that's pretty cool pretty cool so yeah really you know really nice presentation uh one of the nicest things about it was actually they they covered some of the things that didn't work so well so you know they tried uh various different options early on to uh ingest the data and this was you know the project started um you know uh last part uh, of uh last year uh when nifi was you know incredibly new um, and uh, they'd spent, you know, quite a few months working out how they were going to try and get the data in, and that bled across heavily into this year. And eventually, they just said, "Right, look, we're just going to go and use NiFi because we think this is going to be easier." They basically built the NiFi flow in a day. So a problem they've been struggling with for months, pretty much solved in a day using NiFi. Again, I, I, I do think NiFi is very, very cool tech. Um, and you know they made lots uh, use of a couple of other nice open source libraries and environments. Um, the presentation, I believe, is going to be up there on the uh, on the internet as well. So, like a lot of these presentations, uh, well worth taking a look at. Yeah, sounds good. Great. All right. So next session for you, Jan. Um, well, next one I do want to talk about is one which I'm not entirely sure if I understood what they were trying to say. It was a, a session about from two guys from eBay about Apache Eagle. And Apache Eagle is supposed to be a monitoring tool, which I think is something good. 
something. So like monitoring, security monitoring? Or? Uh, well, before I went in, it was a bit unclear, <laughs> so I was open to it. And in the end, it's a, if I understood correctly, and again, as I'm saying, I'm not entirely clear on it, I'll have to deep dive on it again. But it, the idea is that it monitors everything by looking at the log files of specific applications and then through rules decides if something bad has happened. And the way they do this apparently is by putting up a storm topology for that specific application, for example, HDFS. Mm -hmm. And that storm topology then uses machine learning to decide if a certain log file entry was originated from a bad act, whatever bad may be, and then can be cobbled onto a uh, alerting system, which are also built in there, uh, to fire off alerts and even also create a new policy in Ranger to prevent it from happening again. So, sounds good. The only thing for me is you're doing an awful lot of work here because they had meta tagging in there, uh, cataloging of meta tags, which already is available in Apache Atlas. They're using Ranger to push policies towards it, but why not do it directly with policy range, uh, with Ranger policies? Mm -hmm. Uh, having a storm, they admitted this one, uh, having a storm topology for every single uh, uh, application on there, they didn't, it's not multi-tenant at the moment, mm. something they're looking at, but I think it's going to be hard to make something multi-tenant and still flexible enough. So on the one hand, I was very optimistic about the idea for Eagle, but I do think they still have a lot of work to do to make this really uh, useful. So It's something I'm going to look further into, because again, on the monitoring side, there's not that much out there, and you got Ambari metrics, there's some stuff, but uh, we all know that if your cluster is large enough, that comes a problematic something. So people are looking for new things there. And eBay has big, big clusters. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. So definitely the uh, good, uh, good customer to, to look at that. But uh, I'm not entirely sure if this is the, the right track. It's something to keep an eye on, but I have my doubts. Yeah. I mean, <sighs> Honestly, welcome to open source. <laughs> I mean, the, there is there is a certain amount of... Everything's a meritocracy, right? So there's always a certain amount of uh, people inventing new tech that in some cases completely competes with other tech. In some cases overlaps, you know, something between uh, 100% and 0% and anything in between. Um, and eventually, you know, things do become uh, somewhat more dominant and you're always going to have people using niche technology. I mean, I've been yeah. engaged and involved in open source for probably nearly 20 years now, and it's just a continuous pattern. I know Jan's staring me a gaze, um, a gog even. And uh, it's, it's just a pattern that I see time and time again. And it's happening... Uh, probably more frequently now than it ever used to do in the past. And I think that's just because the adoption of open and source is, is broader and mm -hmm. more people have come to it, more people have flocked to open source, more people are coming up with ideas that you know maybe exist or maybe don't exist or maybe don't exist quite in the way that they want them to exist. I think the important thing uh, from what you've described, it sounds like, is that they need to find out, um, they need to find their niche, uh, but also they perhaps need to uh, better integrate with some of the more established services that people are already going to be running. Yeah, they're definitely solving a problem here. Mm -hmm. And a lot of things that they're trying out are things they're going to keep on using. I mean, the, the machine learning that they're developing here is going to be available, it's going to be useful. Mm -hmm. Just, yeah, the, the storm topology is something you have to need to take a look at. And I think a, a further integration with Ranger and Atlas might really help them move along a lot faster. Yeah. Although, to be fair, uh, I don't know, if, did they mention how long that had been in development? 
Um, not really. No. And only reason I asked. It was only open s- a project since. Uh, was it the end of last year? It became a project. I would guess November, December time frame. Okay. So it's very recent. It's very new. Yeah. I mean, it's totally uh, not. It's incubating still. It's not yeah. a, a full fledged uh, batch project. But reason reason I asked that is, of course, you know, Atlas itself is also quite new. So maybe the the full impact yeah. of that hadn't hadn't could uh, be a, a hadn't parallel startup in. of two projects. Yeah, possible. Yeah. And uh, that's the good thing about the whole Apache thing, right? They're incubating now. Yeah. If they can garner enough uh, following, they will become an Apache project. So, yeah. Yeah. And if they have to change or tweak a couple of things to make that happen, they will. Yeah. So, still. I've just had a kind of curious thought. Roughly, um, you know, just off the top of your head, from the sessions that you saw on the agenda, how many of those, you know, what do you think the rough percentage was between incubating projects and... Uh, Full projects. You're only talking about the technical sessions there, then, not to be on the business track. And yeah. Whatever. Um, I'm I'm thinking fifty-fifty really, but I don't have any basis. Of no, no, on that. I, I'm I'm thinking the same sort of thing. Yeah. I just it just occurred to me that uh, that we might uh, we might see if we can compute some statistics on that Ooh, and Dave display that. and display them beautifully somewhere. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, and, and also for the for the other fifty percent. A lot of those are projects that may have be Apache projects today, but are doing version 2.0 or whatever, where everything is alpha again and not stable yet. Yeah. So if that it's not incubating, but it's in the same realm. That's, yeah, that's what you mean, yeah, right? Yeah. Yeah, oh, that true. makes me forget. There's one more thing I want to talk about. I just mentioned briefly the mm-hmm. uh, Alan Gates, uh, luminary founder of uh, Hortonworks. Yep. He gave a very nice talk on Hive 2.0, what they're planning to do there. It's still yeah. all in alpha. It's still not out there to use. You can download it. And he said, if you want to play with it and have us feedback, please do. Mm-hmm. But the things they're trying out there, oh, I knew they were talking about LLAP. Yeah. The live long and process uh, speed up for Hive. But they gave a lot more information there. That too was a very nice session. Also, again, with the uh, HBase uh, metadata store, with the OMIT Apache. So again, that was a very good session. Yeah, actually, it's funny you mention LLAP because one of the I asked a couple of questions at the end of the Yahoo session because you know they've got such huge such huge environments. So I wanted to get a feel for you know the, I mean they admitted they are actually uh, they are actually relatively conservative as an organisation, um, but I wanted to find out what other technologies they were using. And interesting response was uh, LLAP. Um, they are looking at it um you know they're not deploying it aggressively across clusters but they do have clusters um where they are going to be using it you know, they're very much aware of it um and they expect it to uh help with their um further uh, depletion of MapReduce. they're still trying to get rid of uh, people using MapReduce and move them across to tez and they mm-hmm. expect that to uh, be a part of it but one interesting thing they did say is that what they'll probably do is they'll probably set up um, separate capacity scheduler queues um, that have LLAP and TES enabled, and they will target uh, jobs that are specifically low latency sensitive, you know, to those queues, and then you know queues that are uh, more focused towards you know traditional stuff. They'll focus um, the um, just ordinary TES. Uh, that. I'm not sure if that's going to be useful because one of the things Alan talked about is how the cost-based optimi- optimizer 
isn't, but will be able to deduce from your query if it's something valid for LRAP or not. Because you can have three uh, execution models, mm -hmm. a full LRAP one, everything mm -hmm. cached, a full TES one, mm -hmm. or a half TES, half uh, LRAP, where some parts will be LRAP and then pass on to a normal test stream. And the CBO is going to be able to decide that for you with a reasonable amount of Mm. Good prediction there. Interesting. Now MapReduce totally disappears. MapReduce in the Hive 2.0 will no longer be supported. That's a decision they made. Yeah, yeah. And so Yahoo are Yahoo are aggressively migrating or aggressively trying to get their users migrating off of um, that as soon as possible. Uh, but the bulk of their workloads are um, well. In fact, in so keep going back to Yahoo. And I know I said we do an in depth more in depth session, but seventy uh, percent of Every single uh, of all the jobs that run on their clusters are scheduled through Uzi, which I thought was interesting. Mm -hmm. um, and something like fifty percent of those jobs are pig jobs, and wow. uh, a significant chunk of the jobs are then hive jobs below that. But most of them are uh, most of them are pig jobs, and so yeah, they, they've uh, they've got some interesting challenges to migrate people away from uh, the uh, MR2 MapReduce 2 engine. Uh, over the uh, foreseeable future before, as you say, it becomes uh, deprecated and disappears. Yeah, I'm just looking through my notes here. Did all, was it uh, Yahoo that said that only 20% of their workload was Spark at the moment? Uh, yeah, and it was a fairly static uh, yeah, kind of 20%. It's, it's, it felt very lowish to me, but if you say there's a traditional house, a lot of pigs, a lot, yeah, then that yeah, makes sense. Yeah, okay. but you know, as as their as their map produce was decreasing, their TES was increasing. Yeah, that was so. a real mirroring, right? Yeah. If that time TES went up, MR went down. That yeah. was logical. But the Spark really stable, 20% of the yeah. there was. So there was a there was another question that came up from somebody else in the audience uh, during that, which was there was this spike. In, in his graph where he was showing the utilization mm -hmm. of MapReduce going down and TES going up. And yeah. there was this spike where the um, the utilization of MapReduce suddenly plummeted by, I think it was like 20 yeah, or 30%. Yeah, I saw that. And the execution of TES increased by 20 to 30%. Yeah. And someone in the audience said, so what happened then? And he said, yeah, so we've got some really big pipelines, as I'm sure you can imagine. And you know, someone ran that pipeline using Tez just to see what was happening, and then switched it back to MapReduce afterwards. So that was just like <laughs> one pipeline is like thirty wow. percent of the workload. That's one big That's pipeline. Um, and you know, he said he was very, very upfront with saying, you know, Tez is you know, very good. That you know, it is a, a very uh, significant chunk of their workload, and it's growing. But you know, they're still. I mean, they're Yahoo, so they're still finding the odd kind of little snag or issue here mm. and there. Fixing upstream, pushing those fixes out, and yeah, because yeah. that's supposed backwards. to be a drop-in replacement for MapReduce and Hive. So, yeah, but and yeah, but still, for the most part, said, it is. But you know, they still, they have, uh, they have still have some very traditional users there who have been using MapReduce for a very, very long time. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. yeah, Alan also talked about uh, uh, Hive and Spark very briefly, which you didn't oh, know yeah. too much about, but give some highlights there. And as far as I could tell, LRAP is not going to be integrated with uh, Hive and Spark. Yeah. So there's and the reason that the CBO isn't going to be able to choose between that is he said yeah basically if you do Tesla Spark it's an installation issue you have either Spark installed or not mm -hmm. <laughs> so it's it's more, it's harder to to do that yeah but he so didn't go into much detail there yeah yeah I I, I see I see Hive on Spark uh, pop up now and again but it. Yeah, I'm wondering what the advantages are because with, with the things coming in the in Hive too uh, speeds yeah. covered. The analytics from Spark you're not really using in Hive. 
Yeah. So I, even I, on the Hyphen Spark, not so. Yeah, I honestly, I, I think my view is it's it's something that will probably never gain that level of critical mass. Well, again, open source. Everybody has you a chance. Know, yeah. You never know. You never know where it ends up. Absolutely. Well, I think we have to put a cork in it for today. I think so. It's been a great, great Hadoop Summit. Uh, and I'd, I'd also like to mention that uh, we've had some, some, some great feedback from our growing audience. So we, we have nearly as many page views as for, for some of the sessions as were attendees of the Hadoop Summit. Uh, so while I would like to believe that every single member of the Hadoop Summit has, uh, has now listened to uh, and is enjoying our podcast, I know that's probably not true. But thanks so much to everybody that uh, came up to either myself or Jan and, and said hi and introduced yourselves. And, uh, and in fact, one guy even showed me his podcast app with the uh, Roaring Elephant podcast <laughs> on it, which was just, which is just brilliant. I'm just, I'm so glad that people are enjoying it. We're enjoying making it, and we're going to continue to do so as as long as is humanly possible. Um, so yeah, really great to meet some of our audience, and uh, you know, by all means. Uh, as we always say, uh, ask us uh, ask us questions. Come to our site. Um, you know, let us know what you think. So, we do enjoy you enjoyed this serving of bite sized big data yet again. As usual, we'll be back in two weeks' time, and in that episode, we're probably going to be doing a uh, recap of the summit and going uh, into a few. Se- You've heard us already talk in depth on a couple of sessions. We have a lot of more sessions we want to go more depth at, so we're probably going to be doing something like that in that episode. Until then, please do go to RoaringElephant.org where you can find more information. You can send us questions there. Give us a five-star review on iTunes, please. It really helps other new users discover the podcast. And if you don't think we have uh, deserved the five stars, that's fine too, as Dave always says. But do let us know how we can improve ourselves because we do want to try to make this as good as possible. Until then, I have nothing else to add. So my name is John. And my name is Dave. I'll see you in two weeks' time. Bye-bye. Will do. Take care. Goodbye. From Dublin, see you later.